Have you ever made a promise that you knew you couldn't keep? I was going to start this evening by sharing a story about a promise that I made and then didn't keep, but I couldn't think of one. Um, <laughs> which doesn't mean that it hasn't happened, but I just have selective memory, clearly, for that kind of thing. Um, so instead, I thought I would tell you a story about someone else, because that's better. Um, I remember a long time ago, me and my family went to a bakery and we got some cakes and buns and stuff. I can't really remember why. Family road trip, not sure. Um, my sister, she got a Belgian bun, which is one of her favorites. Um, and it's the ones that sort of got raisins and it swells up and there's white icing and a glacier cherry on top. If you can picture that in your mind. She got one of those and it looked really good. Um, but she didn't eat it the day that we got it. And so she put it in my fridge, in not my fridge, our fridge. Um, and our lovely dad promised that he wouldn't eat it. And some of you may be able to work out where this is going. Um, so the next day, my sister, she comes downstairs, opens the fridge, wants her bun. It's gone. Dad's eating it. Promise, broken, nightmare. Um, and although this happened a long time ago, my sister still manages to get my dad to buy her a Belgian bun basically every time we go to a bakery. But that's younger siblings for you. Um, so that is a promise that was broken, but our passage talks about oaths and vows. So what is going on there? Um, when I first heard the word vow, my mind went straight to a film that I like, um, Harry Potter. Some of you might have heard of it. And there's a scene in the sixth one where Snape makes an unbreakable vow to protect another character called Draco. And in the Harry Potter world, the punishment for this vow is death. Imagine if when we broke a promise, we died. I think we'd all be a bit more reserved about promising things to people. But what does this have to do with our passage? Jesus is talking about oaths. And I feel like that's one of those words that we can hear around sometimes a lot, but we don't really know what it means or we hear it out of context and, yeah, we don't really understand it. What makes it any different to a promise? So I turned to Google, my trusty friend, to find the answer to this, um, to tell me what an oath is. And it's told me that an oath is a solemn promise often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future action or behavior. So it's like a really fancy promise, or like promise ramped up to 100. Um, and in our passage, Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I, meaning Jesus, not me, um, I say do not make an oath in the first place. So in order to understand this, we need to look at where it says, do not break your oath. What was the Pharisees' current understanding of this? Because the Pharisees were the ones that were hearing this message. What, were their, what was their understanding of oaths at the time? So in Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything that he said. And so that's what the Pharisees have heard. Um, and so there is a really small part of me feels a bit of pity for the Pharisees. You know, they spend so long trying to follow the letter of the law so precisely, trying to really get it right, that they never realize the true meaning of it. They never reach that true relationship with Jesus. They were so set on making sure they were within the law that was set out, they didn't really mind if they were manipulating the law to suit them. Um, by using fancy wording to mean they never, never technically broke their oath, but they definitely were taking advantage of their oath makers. And so this is the behavior that Jesus was calling out. Don't trick people into a situation 
where they thought that you promised something, but because of your wording, you hadn't actually promised them anything. And so in that situation, keeping your vow is the least honorable thing to do because you tricked them into it in the first place. And so that is why Jesus could be saying, don't make a vow in the first place. Because that does feel a bit weird, right? God's telling us not to promise anything when God promises us loads of things. Um, and it feels odd that he would tell us not to promise or vow anything to him. But it refers to the flippant way that people would use God's name to back up their claim. If we understand that people were using his word, manipulating it to work for their advantage, rather than honoring the weak and poor in their community, then that makes a lot more sense about why God would be calling us to not make oaths. Because some people were using the loophole that if the vow they had made had been contractually binding, as it was meant to be, then because God is so powerful, then he would make sure it was fulfilled, even if you stepped away from it and broke the vow, then God would still mean it was fulfilled because he was so powerful. But I don't think that's how God works. This is an ideology that pops up a lot for us in our world. Um, recently, I found myself looking for a job, um, and it was a long process. I'm sure some people can relate to that. Um, and I did believe that God would guide me where he wanted me to end up working. I really did believe that. But I still had to apply for jobs. You know, I couldn't just sit at home and be like, God will lead me to the right place. He'll make sure I'm working. I had to still apply and put myself out there because that's not how God works. It'd be ridiculous for me to expect that I could just sit at home and not do anything and that I would still have a job. Because yes, God works for the good of those that love him, as it says in Romans 8:28. But we have choices on earth too to help that. And I think this is similar to those religious leaders at the time, using faith to manipulate people to manipulate the people that they were meant to be leading. And Jesus had seen this. And then he lists off the things that we are not to make oaths by. Heaven is God's throne, earth is his footstool, and Jerusalem is God's city. And I found this really humbling. Um, we might think that we have ownership over things, over our world, our city, but no, it's all God's. Everything belongs to God. If you're a Christian sitting here, I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of trying to gatekeep God without realizing it. Um, if we swear by heaven with the knowledge that that's our final destination, we could inadvertently claim more ownership over it than we actually have, and that can be really off-putting. And for the onlooker, that can be misleading as well. We don't have ownership over heaven. God does. He is the author of creation, and he rules in heaven. It is not ours to swear on. Everything that we think we have is God's first, and God gave it to us. We have to remember who has authority, because pride can be one of the most dangerous things that we have. Because when we're prideful, we can tell God that we know best, we have authority, and he can't tell us what to do. And actually, this was a huge barrier to me, personally, wanting to become a Christian, because I didn't want to be told what to do, <laughs> if you can believe it. Um, pride held me back for so long, um, and it's something that continues to challenge me on a personal level. 
how pride can stop us asking God for help or asking other people for help. And I've spent a lot of time looking at these verses in Matthew over the last few weeks. And the more that I read it, I love it because the more the loving nature of Jesus is revealed, just the deeper you look into it, the more you can see Jesus. Because he never says that we have to work this out on our own. You know, habits are really hard to break. We know that. I'm trying not to pick my nails as much, and it is a really hard habit to break. We know that. Um, but if you think about the years of making oaths that the Pharisees have been living under, that's a hard habit to break once you've started. But Jesus is laying out what is divinely possible for us with our human limitation. So our job isn't to strive to achieve it and achieve it. Our job is to humble ourselves enough to ask God to help us, enough to seek Jesus and his guidance in this. And it's not that, you know, we might as well look for Jesus while we figure this out. You know, he can join us on the way, but we're going to go on this journey. But no, it's only by being close to Jesus that we can understand his awesome power and our limitations. And we'll be able to humble ourselves enough to recognize that swearing on the name of God or on heaven or on earth just isn't our place at all. And Jesus doesn't ask this of us without promising to be with us through it. He knows that that's actually the only way it will be possible if he's with us. Um, this part of the Sermon on the Mount which we're looking at, it's not the list of requirements to become close to Jesus, but it's the promise of what's possible when you become close to Jesus. It's not the list of requirements to become close to Jesus, but the promise of what's possible when you become close to Jesus. Because unlike us, God keeps his promises. Um, Joshua 21 verse 45 tells us that not one of the promises that God made to Israel failed. All of them were fulfilled. God keeps his promises. And we are not God as much as we may try or like to think so. We're not. Um, we might break our promise. And then what? If we've sworn on heaven and we break it, what does that say about how we value heaven? If my dad had said, oh, I swear on my life I won't eat that Belgian bun, and then he ate it, then what, what would happen? God is protecting us through this because he loves us. He knows that we can't keep the oaths that we make, and so he tells us not to make them. So Jesus is saying this all to challenge the way the Pharisees were manipulating the law of the Old Testament. And through this, he's teaching us to be humble. But once we've understood that, how can we use that in our lives today as a community at Christchurch? How can we use that as we go out into the world? The great thing is that we don't have to guess. Jesus tells us, which is really helpful for me. Um, at the end of the passage, Jesus says, all you need to say is a simple yes or no, because anything beyond that comes from the evil one. How often do we say yes begrudgingly or we say no when actually we probably could have you know, said yes to what someone had asked of us? We need to say yes and stick to it. We need to say no and mean it. We need to mean what we say to be people of integrity. Growing up, I had a friend and I knew that we would make plans and I would ask her if she wanted to hang out with me you know, next week. She'd say yes. But I knew deep down that that didn't actually mean that next week we'd be hanging out. 
because she had a tendency to make other plans, and that yes didn't mean yes. All it meant was that in the moment, that's what she fancied doing, but that could change. Her yes didn't mean yes. We have to mean what we say. And this is the challenge that lasts a lifetime. Have you ever gone to church and been so full of the spirit and so full of awe about our God, and then you go to work or school the next day, and someone asks what you did in the weekend, and you just think, nothing, just sort of chilled out, watched some TV, uh, not really sure. But you've just experienced the amazing power of God, and we don't want to talk about it. When presented with the opportunity to talk about Jesus, we can shy away from it. Do we mean what we say when we say we love Jesus if we never want to talk about him, if we never want him to be a part of our lives? This is super challenging for me as well. By the way, it's not just me being really preachy up here. Um, This is really hard for me. I want to get better at being transparent with what I say. Um, I work in a school, and when other staff ask what I've been up to, I want to be really honest. I want to say I was at church on Sunday, and that's something I'm going to be working on this week. And so Jesus commands us to mean what we say. Because if we mean what we say, we don't need to swear on anything because we'll be trustworthy people, so we don't need to add that extra thing in. If when you say yes, people know that you'll follow through on it because you're trustworthy, you don't need to say anything else. You don't need to swear by anything else. But maybe this is a real challenge for you. Um, This is actually something you find really hard. Trust is a really hard thing. And maybe you feel like you just can't take anyone at their word because you've been let down too many times. People, you don't think people are trustworthy. And maybe that's trickling into your relationship with God or your relationship with other people. And if that's something that you really struggle with is this issue of trust and wanting to trust Jesus more, I would love to pray for you. Um, After I finish speaking, I'll be down there. Um, Do come find me. Um, I would love that. But yeah, Jesus reminds us who is king. Jesus reminds us who is in control. And then he calls us to be wise with our words, to mean what we say so that we can be trustworthy people and we don't have to rely on oaths to make our point because we will be trustworthy without it. Jesus calls us to be a community of integrity. Amen.